It's Milwaukee's Tailgate, the midweek mini pod, episode seven. I am JP Breen, and I am a bit transient at the moment, in the middle of a long-term move. But I had an opportunity to bring the the mini pod back as promised after a week off last week. So it's been a couple of weeks here in which I've experienced the Brewers through social media and listening to podcasts. And damn, do I have some things to complain about today? So hold on to your butts, dear listeners. Perhaps I'm cranky because I've had to pack a house, pack a trailer, start driving across the country, but I decided I'm going to use this midweek mini mini pod to complain a bit. I guess you could call it more of a mini rant than a mini pod this week. Before we get to that, though, remember that you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We do want listener questions, as always, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com, or you can follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, the three main folks, me, Ryan, and Steve, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you want to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our M&B and Ball and Glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which Ryan and I will hopefully be able to get to uh, in a couple of weeks, though we'll be in vastly different time zones than we have been in the past. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for their great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. But stop down to the Carbon 4 Tap Room uh, on Kinsman Boulevard in Madison because they've got Idiot Farm and America AF on tap. You'll be sure uh, to tell them that Milwaukee's Tailgate sent you as well. Go ahead, snap a picture. Go ahead, tell the bartender that Milwaukee's Tailgate sent you because as friends of the podcast, you all also get 20% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. As I said before, I do have three things that I've got to get off my chest after a couple of weeks of angst online. Number one, not everything you see has to mean something. And my biggest frustration with watching uh, a baseball game with friends or following a baseball game on Twitter is uh, the constant need to draw conclusions after every game or every performance. Zach Davies gives up uh, six runs, four of them earned against the, the Mariners on Tuesday. And people are talking about how the start you know, shows his early season performance was a fluke or how he's not really that good or how his stuff isn't good enough to be a major league pitcher. A brilliant start from Freddie Peralta, like his eight-inning gem against the Pirates earlier this year. That somehow shows that he was finally turning it around while a blow-up start against Houston in June, a couple, couple of weeks ago at this point, somehow shows that he needs to, to go back to the bullpen. And this happens with hitters, too. Travis Shaw hit a monster home run on Sunday, and that became a tale of redemption. While, let's say he has an O, he has an o for on Wednesday night here up against the, the Mariners, that somehow means the exact opposite and that he needs to be sent down. The hardest thing that we do when watching baseball is the hardest thing that we can do, I guess, or the hardest thing to do when watching baseball is to ascribe meaning to what you're seeing with your own eyes. We, we craft narratives because that's how we understand life. We, we don't go through life understanding discrete moments in isolation. Uh, Andrew Carnegie, and something that I've been reading about recently, but Andrew Carnegie did this when he was desperately wanting to figure out why he had success, why he made millions upon millions of dollars in the steel industry in the late 19th, early 20th centuries when others had not. 
He needed meaning because the randomness and the confluence of events in his life needed to fit into a larger narrative about the world. And we all do this. It's why people insist that everything happens in life for a reason. We weave events together to create a story that makes sense of our surroundings, and we do the same in baseball. And that's fine, right? But individual events can absolutely matter in a single game. But they can do that without meaning something about a player's long-term value, their long-term development, or even the next game. I talk about this all the time with Freddie Peralta. We, we know he's a volatile pitcher. He can toss a lovely game and five days later blow up, and that's just par for the course. Every single game doesn't necessarily mean something about the very next one. By the way, the thing that makes me want to absolutely bang my head into a wall is when people say you can't tell people not to be mad or not to be sad when watching baseball. And you can be mad all you want about a performance. Watching bad baseball sucks. Watching Tuesday night's loss to the Mariners was crappy. But you can be mad about a game. You can be mad about a bad performance without ascribing larger meaning to it. You don't have to fit it into a narrative just to make it easier to understand, easier to talk about with your friends, easier to be able to understand why these things happened on any given day. There are tools to draw larger meaning from, from performances. They're less fun. They're more abstract. They're harder to understand. They take a lot of the emotion out of it. But those things do exist. You don't have to make every single performance, every pitching, pitching performance, every start, every outing by a closer, every single uh, you know, 0 for 4 performance or 4 for 4 performance. It doesn't have to mean something. You're not a journalist trying to create a story on a day. You can take a step back and understand that while something might mean something for the game that you just watched, it doesn't necessarily mean anything for the game you're going to be watching the next day. Point number two, things aren't automatically worthwhile or positive just because they're rational. And this relates to the Keston Hira thing that's, that's been going on, and it most directly relates to Ryan, what Ryan and I have been arguing about on the regular podcast for the last couple of weeks. But it also relates to the situation in which prospects are held down in the minors to gain an extra year of control or free agents aren't being signed until June after, you know, after the draft takes place and, and the draft pick compensation goes away or to when prospects are held down to avoid the Super 2 deadline. But it's rational, people will yell, as if somehow that's the only thing that needs to be true for something to be a prudent decision by an organization. What the rational point hides is the metrics of success. Keeping Vladimir Guerrero Jr. down in the minors for a few weeks is absolutely rational if you're trying to maintain his services on the cheap for as long as possible. It's not as rational if you're trying to win as many games as possible in 2019. And so for the Keston Hira thing, I understand it's rational to keep Hira in AAA as long as possible and to maintain options with Shaw and Aguilar in an effort to retain as much talent as possible and to set up the roster for the 2020 season. My point is not only that it's also a rational decision to promote Hira and make a decision as to whether or not you're going to option Shaw or DFA Aguilar in order to win as many games as possible in 2019, but it's that teams are always deciding between multiple rational paths. Well, most teams. Suppose the Mets are the Mets, right? We've seen that as it somehow seems to become more and more of a train wreck as the 2019 season goes along. But what you do as an organization or what you can do as a fan is decide what's the best possible down or like what is the possible downside that you're willing to accept? 
Are you willing to accept that you might have to find a right-handed first baseman this summer if somebody gets hurt and you release Aguilar? Or perhaps even the winter? And that's why I've argued that finding a right-handed first baseman has traditionally not been difficult to do. And for me, that's a reasonable, a reasonable downside risk to assume responsibility for, especially when it also entails bringing up possibly your best hitter in the infield. You can make that calculation regarding Shaw at third base, too, when it comes to optioning him. It seems to me that optioning Shaw is about managing a person and possible resentment from going to AAA. And I know that, you know, a lot of people don't care about that point. But I think that's mostly because they're insulated from having to deal with those sorts of behind-the-scenes fallout or or don't necessarily think, uh, you know, as fans that they should have to consider those things. And there's an argument to be said that, you know, optioning Shaw to AAA is functionally DFAing him, designating him for assignment, as he might never be able to recover. Perhaps it breeds resentment in him towards the organization. And I'm not sure, at least at this point, that that's a downside risk that I'm particularly willing to assume, particularly because I think third base is much more difficult for the organization to fill. But no, when it comes to deciding to keep here a down for as long as possible. Something is not necessarily unassailable just because it's rational, just because it has a logic to it. There are plenty of things that are really negative that have logics to it that we that we don't ascribe to. On the History Channel, you can watch Ancient Aliens all day long, and it has a logic to it. It's about what are the assumptions behind it. What is it's rational to achieve what. And it's if you can actually get to that point about what you're trying to achieve. What is the metric of success? That's when you can really have a discussion about which one is more valuable for for, uh, the organization. What's more valuable for them in the short term? What's the most valuable for them in the long term? Do you prefer the short term? Do you prefer the long term? Are you trying to create a mix between the two? And at what point are you kind of, uh, I guess, shading more towards one than the other? I won't necessarily speak for Ryan at this, you know, at this point he can talk about it himself on the podcast, but Ryan absolutely prefers the long term. Ryan is saying that it's a rational decision to be able to maintain your long-term flexibility and your long-term success as much as possible. And I think what his argument is is he says that basically my argument in terms of calling up Hira is preferring the short term far too heavily. But I don't think that's true. I think that my largest point is that you can actually maximize your short term while creating a downside risk that's actually not that impactful for the long term just because of the the, the nature of the first base position, especially a right-handed first baseman. Two rational things, two rational decisions can compete against each other, and it's fine. A rational decision can be something that's not particularly prudent, and not something is not uh, is not unbreachable. Something is not unassailable just because it's rational. All right, point three. Bad stretches happen. Baseball fans are often like Wisconsin drivers every winter. Every good team has a very bad stretch over the course of the year, but when we're in the midst of it, we act like we've never seen it before. It's just like Wisconsin drivers in the first snowfall of every year. I mean, folks, we've done this every year for the past however many years we've been driving in Wisconsin. But somehow, every single year, you're acting as if it's the first time you've driven in snow before. Calm down. Everything's going to be okay. You can handle it. You've handled it years before. You're going to handle it in years to come. 
yeah, sometimes accidents happen. No need to overreact. You've seen it. Last year prior to the All-Star break, Brewers limped into the break with a terrible series against the Pirates. And I had a ton of people in my mentions, to be fair, a lot of them Cubs fans, but a lot of them Brewers fans telling me that playoffs teams don't crumble like that. Playoff teams don't look as bad as the Brewers had been playing. Moreover, playoff teams don't choke and allow the Cubs to get back into the picture when they were so far ahead earlier in the year. Turns out playoff teams do look like that. Turns out NL Central winning teams do look like that. And it turns out they did look like that in 2008. They were the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers have not had a losing month thus far in the 2019 season. They've won six consecutive and, 17, uh, and seven consecutive games in separate stretches this year. But somehow when the Brewers lost five in a row to the Padres and the Reds this week, people went into meltdown mode. People started talking about tra- trading Jimmy Nelson. They started talking about going and getting an ace in the trade market. And, you know, as an aside, it's always funny how nobody's ever particular, particularly worried about whether or not a team can actually pay for said ace. Or they've just been writing off the Brewers as a fatally flawed team. And we're like, uh, we're like goldfish in a bowl sometimes. The Brewers lost six in a row going into the All-Star break in 2018. They even lost the first game after the break to the Dodgers, making it seven in a row. To be fair, I believe it was the first game that they did uh, win to break that streak that the Milwaukee's tailgate crew was actually at to see. So we somehow do take credit for the 2018 uh, NL Central victory. But the Brewers ultimately won the pennant. And somehow a bad stretch happens in 2019 and we act like it's the worst thing that's ever happened. That somehow 2018 has never occurred and of course this by no means is arguing that the Brewers will repeat what they did last year it's not guaranteeing that they will turn it around be NL Central uh, champions it by no means is arguing just because it happened last year it can happen again this year or it will happen again this year it's asking for people to maintain some sense of perspective when thinking about this sorts of stuff maybe this is a fatally flawed team that won't make the postseason. We talked about a lot of those scenarios prior to the season. We talked about the volatility of the pitching staff. It's come to pass this year. We've had some injuries that have proven to be pretty devastating, especially in the bullpen with Corey Knable that completely has transformed the way that this team has looked. The fact that Jeremy Jeffress had a shoulder injury and just hasn't really kind of been able to be the same guy he was last year. That also is directly affected what this team has done. Corbin Burns proving to be, you know, or his performance being the really, really extreme downside of what his his possible outcomes could have been. It's been brutal for the team this year. And so maybe this is a fatally flawed team that won't make the postseason. But if there's one thing I know, it's that a damn six-game losing streak in the middle of June isn't what's going to signal that. All right, that's going to do it for this week. As always, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Our patrons at the M&B and Ball and Glove levels receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at mketailgate, and you can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for the Milwaukee Tailgate uh, Baseball Podcast. I'm also going to throw a quick shout-out here to our, uh, our Milwaukee's Tailgate Fantasy Baseball League and I'm going to do that because not only has it been, the level of competition has been 
pretty high thus far, which has been which has been fun. I've also enjoyed that uh, I have been far better than Ryan and Steve thus far. I'm on a four four week winning streak. Was able to take down Sean Andrews, who was our only undefeated team a couple of weeks ago. All good things in our fantasy league. Thank you to everybody who. Uh, join the Patreon to be able to take part in it. Thanks to everybody that's been following along all year. Been a lot of trades thus far to be able to continue to make it uh, a really engaging league. And next year, we're hoping to be able to do it again. We're going to make some tweaks to some of the point stuff because Steve keeps complaining about wins and losses and how many points that they that they are involved in here. And he also wants to be able to put some some start limits on. Or at least start limits that are lower than the 12. But we'll we'll talk about all that kind of stuff. We might even do two leagues next year. But thank you to everybody who's being involved in that. Give me a shout if you have any comments or concerns about it going forward. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast going forward. All those Brewers fans who want to find a Brewers podcast, direct them here. Give us uh, a good five-star rating. Thank you for listening. I'll be back on Monday with the fellas.